so uh, the goal for tonight is, uh, as always, when we give this uh, this year, is to uh, simultaneously make sure that we prepare for our, our homes uh, halachically, so that there will be uh, we will be confident that uh, we will be sitting in homes and eating in homes that are uh, that are kosher for Pesach. And then, together with that, we remain cognizant of the fact that uh, one of the mitzvahs which we have, one of the primary mitzvahs which we have, what we're working towards, is to be able to enjoy the Seder. And this year, with the Seder falling out on Friday night, so this creates a particular challenge, because that means that we're going to be running ourselves thin for an entire week leading up to the Seder. So generally, I think on most Friday nights, people are falling asleep by the time the Suda begins. The week before Pesach, only more so is it likely that that's going to, uh, to happen. So we want to make sure that uh, the cleaning which we do is only that which is absolutely essential. As we say, we're not doing any spring cleaning or anything of that this sort. Spring cleaning is reserved for, uh, for Shavuos. And now we're just trying to get our houses into a uh, situation, a circumstance where they are ready for, uh, for Pesach. So as we always do, what we're going to do is we're going to begin from the extremities, meaning everything outside of the, uh, the kitchen, really. And then, which has just some basic rules that you have to know, from there we'll go into the kitchen. We'll talk about those things which uh, you need to know if, when you're, uh, you're home and kashring for, for Pesach. And then assuming that we have a little bit of time, it only takes a minute or two, we'll talk a little bit about medication, cosmetics, and uh, stuff of, uh, of that sort. But the first thing we're going to do is, is really it's part of the bedikas chametz, it's part of the search for chametz, but it's what we need to do in order to make sure that our house is, uh, the overall house is ready for Pesach. So for this, I have my pictures. And now that we're on Zoom, so we could share it with everybody together. So what we're looking for, uh, in order now to make ourselves crazy, because our homes are, uh, by magnitude of many, uh, much bigger than homes uh, existed in the time of uh, uh, in the time of Chazal. So uh, it's uh, it's uh, to go ahead and do the thorough cleaning, the the floors and the walls and all that stuff. When we uh, when we have such a, such large homes and we have so much food, so that's something which could prove to be quite a challenge. And anybody who has any um, hint of anxiety uh, running through their uh, running through their veins. So leading up to Pesach is only going to make you crazy. It's only going to aggravate that uh, even more so because we think that we have to search for all of the crumbs. And if we don't got, uh, get every crumb of chametz out of the house, then we've done something wrong. We're going to get him for all of eternity and uh, the fires are going to be burned up and will be thrown into the, uh, to the, the, the matzah oven. So the truth is, is that according to many postgame, what you're really trying to get rid of is you're looking for, and you're going to destroy, physically destroy, a kezayis of chametz. So kezayis is the, the Hebrew term for an olive size of chametz. And it's a difficult for us to go ahead and uh, to sometimes visualize in different types of food how much exactly is a kezayis. But as we'll see now from these, uh, these pictures, it's actually quite large, and it's unlikely that a kezayis of chametz is going to uh, uh, miss your gaze if you're looking even briefly at a room to see whether or not there is chametz there. So he says, for example, this is taken from, you see at the top over there, the halachas of kezayis. So it says that a kezayis of these large pretzels, regular uh, twisty pretzels, so it's going to take four of them, or it would take 12 of the mini pretzels. 
So what that means is, is if you look around wherever uh, you happen to be, there's probably a table in the room, there's probably a dresser in the room, there's something where something could be under. So if there were 12 mini pretzels there, you'd see them. That's something which has a hard time camouflaging itself that you're not going to be able to see it. And it doesn't take long. You could, whatever room you're in, regardless of the size, you could quickly scan the entire floor and see whether or not there's 12 mini pretzels or whether or not there are four large pretzels on the floor. If they're there, you'll see them. You'll get rid of them. You'll, uh, you'll, you'll discard them. In the event that you don't see them, so one of the things which is, which is important to be, uh, to be mindful of when we're getting ready for Pesach is you don't have to imagine something being there if you don't actually see it there. You're allowed to rely on your eyes, on the, uh, the, the eyesight which HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given to you. If it's there, you'll see it. If it's not there, so you move on. Similarly, if you, uh, hold on, I'm sorry. What if you see three pretzels? So you if clean you, them up. If you see them, clean them up. But if, if if you if you it turns out that you miss them, so it's not you. Uh, your bittel is going to count. So the nullification which you'll do will cover all those things which are less than a kazais. On top of which, it's off the floor, and we're not really concerned that you're going to eat it. But okay. Uh, um, I have a question right. about that, yes. not to stop you, but um, is it? A kazayas in total in the house, or is it? Are you looking at any individual piece of food on the floor and determining if that's a kazayas? Could you have more multiple kazayas in, in the house in total? Right, e- excellent question. So the Mishabura addresses that, uh, and the Mishabura says that it really depends on where, uh, what's the likelihood of all of this stuff being swept into one pile. So your downstairs and your upstairs are not going to be swept into a single pile. You may not even sweep your living room and your dining room into a single pile. There may be uh, separate piles that you would do. So if there's a concern that the over the course of uh, Pesach, or at some point on Pesach, there, there, you may end up with a pile which equals a kezayis, so then you would have to be concerned. But something, uh, you know, there's no way that the stuff upstairs is going to end up uh, all of a sudden in the living room. It doesn't go marching down, uh, you know, like a bunch of elves from one part of the house to the other, or like mice from one part of the house uh, to the other, looking for all of the goodies. So you don't have to worry about that. So it's primarily, you could think of it in terms of a room at a time. Okay, thank you. No problem. So now as far as Cheerios is concerned, so he says, I can't believe he actually counted 60 pieces, <laughs> but, but it's a quarter cup worth of, of Cheerios, which also is something if it was there. So in all likelihood, you're going to see it as much as um, you may live in a house where they eat food outside of the, uh, outside of the, uh, the kitchen, in the dining room area. And you may be afraid that maybe something got caught uh, in the couch uh, unless you have, uh, you know, real, uh, small kids. So it's unlikely that you're going to have a quarter cup of Cheerios between your cushions. It's just, it's likely not going to, to happen because that's an awful lot of Cheerios, uh, which uh, made, its way, uh, made, made its way over there. Tam Tams, for us old timers. So it's going to be six Tam Tams is, is a Kazai. So that's what you'll be looking for. Tea biscuits, another thing, it'll be three of them, they're thicker, so that's why it'll be three of them, is going to be a kazais, and that's what you're looking for. Sandwich cookies, it's two and a half cookies. So all of these things, what we're doing is, we're just trying to get a picture for ourselves, what exactly a kazais looks like, and then that should ease the process of cleaning and searching the house for chametz to get rid of of chametz. So that's point number one, which we'll come back to in a moment. Point number two, which is also extremely, extremely important um, when, uh, when preparing your house for Pesach, and that is, is that Chazal's primary concern 
when it comes to searching the house for Pesach is the scenario that Chazal give is that somebody's in the middle of a meal munching on a sandwich and they realize that they're missing, uh, they need more seltzer or they need another keg of beer or they need another uh, barrel of wine. And they go into the cellar where the drinks are stored. And it turns out that in order to get that barrel of wine off of the other barrels, so you put down the sandwich, you grab the barrel, you bring it up to the dining room and you forget that the sandwich is there. So the principle which this tells us is is that you only have to clean and search for chametz in those places where it, there's a reasonable expectation that there would be chametz, which is, which is there. So this is where you have to use your judgment and use your judgment very, uh, very leniently. You don't have to make yourself crazy about uh, this. But uh, I would imagine that for many of you who are, uh, who are part of the, the, the shear now, so uh, you probably are not, without having little kids in the house, so it's unlikely that you're taking chametz, certainly not a sandwich, into your bedroom, certainly not going into your master bathroom, probably not going into any of the bathrooms of the house. And you just think through the different rooms of your house where it's likely that food actually would be and where uh, it's unlikely food is going to, uh, to appear. Those places where it's unlikely that food is going to be, you may actually have to do an additional room these past two years, just if a lot of people are working from home. So you may actually bring some snacks in and some food may... Uh, may be in that additional room, but outside of that, in bedrooms and stuff, and in bathrooms, so to spend time cleaning through all of the drawers and wiping everything down and making sure that there's no food there, when there's no realistic expectation that food should be there anyways, so that's a waste of time and energy. And that time and energy ultimately is going to come at the expense of time and energy and focus that you should be able to, that you want to reserve for the Pesach Seder. So it's not as if anytime it's a chumrah, if I search better, it's going to be it's going to be an advantage because it comes at a cost. We only have a limited amount of energy, a limited amount of uh, of, uh, of uh, resources with it within our brain to handle all of these things. And if you want to be able to have a uh, an enjoyable, meaningful seder, so you have to come into you have to come and rest it. So to spend time cleaning rooms where it's unlikely that chametz is brought because you don't eat in that room. So that's a waste of time. That's what I mean when I say that that's spring cleaning, which you're going to do for, uh, for Shavuos. So you don't want to spend any time doing that. And certainly, if we get even more focused on this, certainly when it comes to, let's say, the drawers in your bedroom, even if you happen to walk into your bedroom with a sandwich, you don't tell your spouse, you just happen to walk in and hope that, uh, you know, you finish it so that nobody sees it. <clears throat> but there's no way that in your sock drawer or your shirt drawer or your underwear drawer that you put down a sandwich and you forgot that it's there. The likelihood of that happening is somewhere between zero and zero. And therefore, to go through all of those, uh, those drawers and in your, in your bathroom as well, as many cabinets and in, in drawers that you may have in the, in the bathroom, there's no way that actual sandwiches and actual food is getting in there. We'll talk about the cosmetics and whatever later. But being that it's unrealistic to think that you're going to find a kazais of chametz in any of those places, so you really should not spend any time uh, uh, doing that other than just that quick gaze. Just walk into the room, look around, check the floor. Do you see four large pretzels, the equivalent of four large pretzels? Or do you see the equivalent of 12 little pretzels in there? If you don't see it, so then you move on to the next room. In most of the rooms of the house, assuming that you don't have little kids who are dragging food all over the place, by little kids, I mean, even teenagers, sometimes in their, into their 20s, but you don't have people who are dragging food all over the place. So those rooms where, where food is not going to be brought off limits, don't even spend time other than their quick gaze to make sure you, that you don't see anything which is there. 
And beyond that, you shouldn't spend uh, any more time or energy on, uh, on that. Yes, Shirley, we're going to say something? Okay. So this is so this is going to take care of this takes care of the uh, the, the the family room. It could take care of the living room. It takes care of the bedrooms. It takes care of most of the bathrooms. Many of the rooms of the house can really be examined very quickly just by seeing if you see something which, which is there. And even under the uh, the dressers, if you want to be machmer, you want to just look under the dressers. There also you'll see very quickly whether or not something is there. If you don't see it there, as we said. Don't imagine that maybe, maybe, maybe something is hiding inside of the the uh, the threads of the carpet or something like that or the rug. If you don't see it, assume that it's not there, and then uh, and then you just move on and you don't have to uh, to worry about it. So this takes care of really most of the house. It takes care of the garage. It takes care of the uh, the uh, uh, the shed. Most of the house can be done again, assuming that you don't have little kids dragging food all over the place. So the most of the house is going to be uh, can be addressed with that. And the most that you would do is you'll wash the floors sometime before uh, before Yantif. You probably do that anyways. But you'll wash the floors. And that way, even in the event that some of the chametz, there, there were some chametz there, if you had two pretzels there rather than four pretzels there. So once they get uh, a spritz or they get wet with your pine saw or whatever you use to clean your floors, so it makes it even more icky than it was in the first place, then it's not going to be much, uh, it's not going to be much of, a, of an issue. And if you vacuum up the uh, the rooms, so that also is certainly going to get rid of anything which is uh, which is large, and that takes care of eighty percent of the house, eighty five percent of the house, ninety percent of the house. That takes care of most of the of the house, and that should not take you too long. You shouldn't spend too much time uh, time on that. So before we move on to the kitchen, let me make sure that we're all we're all good with uh, with that. Okay, great. Got a thumbs up, so we'll uh, we'll go. There's all sorts of, I think, cool uh, icons or something you could put up there for <laughs> thumbs up. Okay. Yeah, so question. No. Question. Yes. yes yeah. uh, I think it's probably more appropriate here than waiting to be in the kitchen. So my question is, you did this, you glanced every room in the house, and uh, you're up to date. And during Pesach, you go into a room and you see something there that... Uh, you can't imagine how you didn't see it before, but clearly it shouldn't be there during Pesach. So what do you do about it then? Right. So assuming that you sold your chametz, so uh, when you sell your chametz, so you end up including uh, in most uh, shtaros, and it's assumed that this is what most people have in mind, that they, in addition to the, the places where chametz is being stored, which may be specified, so they also go ahead and they... Uh, uh, they, they, we include any chametz which we may have overlooked. So that stuff actually ends up being sold to the uh, to the non-Jew. So uh, generally, what's going to be done is it's going to be put away on uh, yant if you're not allowed to touch it because it's mopsa. You would just cover it up. But uh, during chalamoid, you would go ahead and you would uh, put it together with wherever the rest of your chametz is being stored. Okay, thanks. It's almost inevitable. You shouldn't feel bad about it. You shouldn't feel guilty about it. Um, it's just something which uh, which happens short of actually you know burning down your house, uh, which is one way to get rid of all of your chametz. Uh, but short of that, it's almost inevitable that something will be overlooked at, at some point. But we have enough safeguards in place. All the chumras that we have, which are associated with Pesach, all of those are there in order to prevent us from accidentally owning chametz in a way which would violate any sort of isadaraisa. Uh, 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 so we're pretty uh, we're pretty cushioned as far as these things are concerned. 
Okay. So now when we move on to the uh, to the kitchen, so now we're getting to the actual kasher. So we'll take care of some of the easy stuff first. Uh, it, many people, I think, at this point have separate dishes, separate silverware, separate uh, everything that they're going to be eating on and they're going to be cooking with in the event that you, do, that you do that so that you don't have to worry about kashering anything because any of those things because you have all new, so you don't have to spend that, spend that time. In the event that you don't, you're actually going to be using uh, pots and silverware and stuff of that, uh, of that sort. So we, we could go through the rules of kashering things in terms of silverware with the boiling water and how you prepare it and all, and all of that. The easiest thing to do, though, is... Uh, if you look up in one of the magazines, the CRC magazine is already out, um, the OU, which is not going to help for locally, but I know the are good. I haven't seen a physical copy of it yet, but I know that it's available online already. But every year they offer kashering services where you bring the stuff that you want to kosher to them and they go ahead and they put it into the boiling water for you. So then you don't need to know anything other than their phone number. So that's, that's an easy way to go ahead and handle uh, that, bring it to, to them, follow their rules. They'll go ahead and they kosher it for you and then you get it back and it's already kosher. So this is also something that there's not really a reason to spend a lot of time um, uh, koshering stuff on your own when you can go ahead and you can bring it to, the, to them where they have these enormous sized pots with the, the boiling water and they put it in, they take it out and it's chick chack and it goes fast. They'll spend more time driving there and back than the actual koshering process. And I would definitely recommend taking advantage of that, uh, of that service. Although there's many things that, uh, that uh, are preferable to really be done in home rather than out of the home, koshering silver is not one of those things. Koshering silver, somebody else will do it for you. So go ahead and take advantage of that and uh, and be done with it. That's a, it's a much easier way to, uh, to handle things. Now, when it comes to actual appliances and whatnot, so a few things to keep in mind. So the, the rule of thumb is, and this is the general principle when it comes to kashering, so the Hebrew term is, the Hebrew phrase is kabolo kachpolto, which means that the same way that taste is absorbed into a utensil or into a surface, so that's the way you're going to extract it. That's the way you're going to pull it out. You're going to replicate the exact same thing. So there's different ways by which taste is absorbed. So one way is direct fire. So for this, you think of your barbecue grill. So on your barbecue grill, you put your steak or you put your chicken, or for those who put your fish, you put it directly onto the, onto the grill. So when you go ahead and you uh, put it directly onto the grill, so there's no liquid there, it's just the food in the fire. <clears throat> so that creates the strongest uh, uh, absorption of taste. The only way to be able to undo that, the opposite, the way to extract the taste in that case, is you have to go ahead and you have to put the utensil into fire. So you have to heat it up, it's assumed, to something like 850 degrees. That's when uh, metal would, uh, would turn red hot. When it gets that hot, like a self-cleaning oven, as we'll, as, as we'll see, or the stovetop, so when it gets that hot, it, it's assumed that the, the intensity of the heat burns up any chametz taste, which may have been there, and now you're left with utensil, which ha- is completely free of any chametz taste. So that's what we call libun chamer. So libun chamer is the use of intense heat to go ahead and, and, uh, and to, uh, to burn out any of the remaining taste, which is inside of the utensil. And that is the best form of, uh, of kashering. When you're kashering with libun chamer, with this intense heat, you don't even have to wait 24 hours in advance before kashering. You could, uh, in your self-cleaning oven, for example, you could go ahead and you can make a, 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 a chametz stick uh, um, 
uh, lasagna. And as soon as you take the lasagna out of the oven, immediately turn on the self-cleaning cycle. And then two and a half, three hours later, whatever your, uh, your, whatever the duration of your self-cleaning cycle is, so now your thing is ready to go for Pesach. So four hours ago, it had hot chametz in there, uh, uncovered hot chametz. And uh, now four hours later, it's all ready for, uh, for Pesach, so you'd be good to go because that's the best way of kashering. Now, obviously, not everything in your kitchen is going to be able to withstand the intensity of a self-cleaning oven. Uh, your plastic uh, cutting board probably would not survive very well inside of a self-cleaning oven if you were to, uh, to throw it in. Uh, if you were, I don't know if silverware would actually survive if you were to put it in the heat of that, uh, of that te- temperature. But as I say every year, anything which you could, anything which can survive the heat of the self-cleaning oven. So if you put it in there, so that gets kashered right away. So like the racks inside of your self-cleaning oven, so they, they can withstand the heat, but you'll lose some of that shine and some of what helps the, uh, the rack go in and out smoothly of, of your oven. Most people found that out the first time they self-cleaned with the racks inside, and then they went back and they read it and they say, oh, I wasn't actually supposed to do that. But once it's done, there's no reversing it. There's no going back at that point. So you could go ahead and you could, uh, now, now at that point, at this point, you could go ahead and you could leave it in. I take, for example, the uh, racks from my stovetop, the grates from my stovetop, and I put that in the self-cleaning oven also. So then also, I don't spend any time cleaning that, scrubbing that, washing that, wiping that down. I just put all of that from whatever comes off on the stovetop, all of that goes into the self-cleaning oven, one cycle, and I've taken care of all of those, uh, all of those things. So would, would I be safe to assume that everybody here is working with a self-cleaning oven? Okay. I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to assume that that's a yes. Those who are silent, shtika kohuda. Thank you, Debbie. Shtika <laughs> kohuda. So that is going to, that is going to be, uh, so we don't have to worry about non-self-cleaning ovens. Um, many times technology uh, in the kitchen does not work to our advantage halachically. Like everybody, anybody who's gotten a refrigerator lately knows that there are so many bells and whistles now on uh, refrigerators that uh, it can make you uh, crazy. Uh, in terms of Shabbos and Yantif, that's why they work so hard to make Shabbos and Yantif refrigerators, so that there'll be some way to be able to turn all of that, that, that stuff off. But when it comes to uh, the invention of self-cleaning ovens, so this is something which is certainly to, uh, to your advantage, halachically, uh, you should keep in mind, just to uh, bear in mind that uh, self-cleaning ovens are, actually aren't designed to self-clean, because when you do it too often, you burn out the, uh, the igniter and whatnot. And you have to go ahead and replace that, so it's always a good idea to pay attention when you have to call the repairman in, find out where those four screws are, <laughs> watch him take it out, watch him put the, to put the new one in, how to reconnect it, then you'll save yourself a few hundred dollars every couple of years when you have to replace the, uh, the igniter. But that's something which is, uh, which, is, uh, which is important. So the self-cleaning oven is going to take care of, it, is going to take care of itself with, uh, with a single cycle. Yatsach. The, the window of the oven? So it need to be wiped down first. Well, so the the only thing, no, the inside of the uh, of it do- doesn't, because that's also subject to the heat. The only thing that you have to be mindful of is there's that metal seal on the door, which anything beyond that is not subject to the same intense heat. So outside of that seal, that you should spritz down with whatever oven cleaner the uh, the manufacturer recommends or whatever. Wipe that down. Make sure that you don't see anything which looks like food. And then once you go ahead and you, uh, you do that, 
so then uh, you're, you're, you're good to go. Because we, we don't really assume that that taste is going to get inside anyways. And even though it doesn't, it, that part doesn't reach 850 degrees, it may nebach get to only 600 degrees. So whatever food is there is, uh, you know, is not going to be edible by the time you're, uh, you're done with the cycle anyways. That combination of the oven cleaner and the 600 degrees, so then uh, you, uh, you don't have to worry beyond that. Yeah, Debbie, is that your hand up? Yeah, that's me. Yes. Um, I, I discovered all the little um, buttons and things. Anyways, I have a cast iron griddle that I use quite often for uh, um, Shabbos mm-hmm. um, or for pancakes or whatever. It is that something that can be kashered in the oven? Um, so I. I, I would assume that cast iron would be able to survive such heat. Yeah. Uh, Mel is, uh, is nodding yes. So I'm trusting Mel and he's taking responsibility in the event that it doesn't. Thanks, uh, Mel. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so that, uh, that, that's something which I, I, I would assume it, it, it can and it'll be fine. And yeah, that, that will cost it. That, that's really, that in many times, that, that would be the only way to cost it is, you know, either you take out a blowtorch and you just uh, torch it or you uh, put it in the self-cleaning oven. Because since you make chametz there, like uh, uh, you make uh, you may make chametz which without really a lot of liquid there, so that may be absorption through fire. Even though pancakes maybe not, but yeah, right. Okay, so that takes care of the uh, of the uh, of the oven. Now on your stovetop, so the stovetop itself. So there's uh, two kinds. There's going to be your gas which produces an actual flame. And then you're going to have electric where you don't see an actual flame. There's just coils which, uh, which get hot. So either way, we consider both of those primarily, we'll talk about the flat surface in a moment, but we consider both of those primarily to be self-cashering. So in the normal course of turning on your, uh, your stove, whether it's a, a fire or whether it's electric, the place where the fire is, that actually cashers itself. So what you would want to do in the event that you're hesitant to go ahead and put some of the stuff from the stovetop into the, into the self-cleaning oven. So what I tell people to do is you want to take a large pot that hasn't been used in 24 hours. It could even be a hummusika pot, but you want to put in some water just so you don't burn out the pot. And then you turn on the flame to whatever its highest setting is. So whatever, wherever it goes to high, so that's where you want to go ahead and you want to, uh, you, you want to uh, uh, put it. And that way, the pot is there just to spread out the fire and spread out the heat to the largest possible area. And then you leave that on for 15 minutes. And then once 15 minutes have gone by, so the fire has burned out anything which is there. And the post can assume that that also is going to be Libun Hammer, and that's considered to be uh, Kasher for Pesach. If you have an electric stovetop, where you don't have an actual flame. So then you have to wipe down the surface first, just to make sure that there's, a, there's no food which, which, which is there, no food or spills. And then you turn it on again to the highest setting. Uh, you could just say 20 minutes, regardless of whether it gets red hot or whether it gets black hot, but turn it on for 20 minutes. And that also is going to burn up at the highest setting. It will burn out whatever happens to, uh, to be there. So in both of those two cases, whether gas or whether electric, what you've done effectively is you've koshered the part of the stovetop where the pots would actually sit. Now, the other challenge that there is, is that there's always going to be a surface in between. There's a lot of flat surface in between your, uh, uh, sometimes, I shouldn't even say necessarily, sometimes you could have it, the, the whole thing is all, uh, is all uh, stovetop with uh, grates and whatnot, or uh, uh, yeah, grates, I guess. 
Um, but uh, in the event that you have some surface which is exposed, or the part which is going to be underneath, yes, where, the flame, underneath where the flame is. So in such a case, so theoretically, you could go ahead and you could kasha that surface. Since it absorbs, uh, it would likely absorb by spilling. So the way that you would kasha that, you could either take a blowtorch, which always works, or what you could do is you would pour boiling water on that, uh, that surface, clean it, leave it for 24 hours, and then pour boiling water uh, from a kettle of sorts onto the uh, stovetop. And assuming that you have, it's all metal over there, it's not porcelain or it's not uh, uh, some material which we wouldn't, uh, which we wouldn't kasher. So you could theoretically kasher that, uh, that surface if you have a steamer. So you could go ahead and you may be able to use a steamer for, for that. I find it's a lot easier just to go ahead and take two layers of heavy duty tinfoil and just cover the whole surface. Just cover from one end to the other, you know, push down on the tinfoil to match the grooves or whatever, make sure to leave a hole for the gas to come out. That's always helpful when you want to use your stove on, uh, <laughs> on Cholamoid, that uh, there's a place for the gas to be able to get out and actually burn. And then you just have that over there and then you don't have to worry about cleaning it other than just wiping it down very quickly. You don't have to worry about kashering it. Certainly uh, when it comes to pouring boiling water on the surface, where your feet are going to be anywhere in the vicinity. So I, I will always advocate for covering rather than pouring boiling water. Pouring boiling water is a, a dangerous activity, which is, a, I don't think that there's much an of an advantage halachically to do so, that uh, it warrants the, uh, the risk that would, uh, that would be involved. As far as the knobs or whatever, so all, all, all I do as far as knobs is I just, uh, I, I pull them all off, all the ones which come off, and I put them in a, a, a bowl with, uh, that has hot water in some dish, uh, dish soap or something. I just let them sit for a while. And then when I take them out and I rinse them off, if I don't see anything on them, so I don't assume, uh, I assume that nothing's actually, uh, nothing's actually there. <clears throat> I certainly wouldn't take a toothpick and start picking on the inside of it to see if you could uh, pull out any residue or something like that. I wouldn't worry about uh, uh, any of that. So this is as far as the oven and the stovetop. So anything, uh, clarifications on oven and stove top, Luchini? Yes, Shalene. So what if you have a glass top? Oh, the glass top. Sorry, yeah. That was my, now, now the moment to, to get there. So the glass top, so the problem with the glass top is that only the circles are, uh, are heat tempered. And the part of the glass, which is between those circles, is not heat tempered. So this is in your dream halachic kitchen. So you would go ahead and you'll go for one of the other uh, kinds. Because that this surface, so you're not able to kasher for uh, we Ashkenazim, we don't kasher glass for uh, for Pesach, generally, but you can't cover it either. Because if you cover it and heat reflects up and then gets to that uh, the glass which is not heat tempered, so people discover either after Shabbos when they use the blech or after Pesach when they had to cover with tinfoil for a week, they discover that it cracked. And then the crack is, it's very expensive to, uh, to, to replace. So the most that you could do is, that we do is we wipe down that surface so it's visibly clean. And if any food falls on that flat top in between those circles, it's assumed to be, become chametz stick. And we discard it. Certainly if it's hot, if it uh, falls down there. So you'd, get, you, you'd have to, uh, to get rid of it. Well, how long do you have to keep the, the burner on or the part, the surface where it's temp heat tempered? How long does it have to be on to? 15 practice? minutes, 15 minutes, 15 20 minutes. minutes. Okay, it gets very hot very quickly. I mean, you know, you, you have one. It gets very hot very quickly. So it doesn't take long for the, the, uh, the, 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 the heat to do its job of burning up whatever, uh, whatever taste is there. 
Okay, now, uh, as far as microwaves are concerned, just we're putting that into the oven uh, category. So microwaves present uh, two, two problems. One is that the inside of a microwave is often plastic. And as a general rule, so we don't kosher plastic for, uh, for Pesach. So that creates problem number one. And then problem number two is that when microwaves first came out, they always used to say that you take a, a few cups or a few bowls of water, and after you wipe down the surface, you clean it so that it's visibly uh, clean. You, know, you kosher by boiling up that water or, or, or those bowls of water so that the inside of the oven fills up with steam, and it's assumed that it gets koshered through the, uh, the, the steam. So the, besides the plastic problem, so you have another problem, which is our ovens are usually, uh, our microwaves are usually vented pretty well, and you don't really have clouds of steam which build up inside of the, uh, inside of the microwave. That's number one. Number two, you also have a bigger koshering problem, which is, if you remember, the principle we said is kabolo kachpolto, that the way something absorbs is the way that you extract it. So using steam to kosher the microwave would be effective only in the event that it absorbs taste only through steam. But if it absorbs taste through direct contact with boiling water, let's say, so the only way to kosher it would be to replicate that. So is anybody who has made the mistake of putting in a tradition soup into the microwave and watching it explode with boiling noodles everywhere. So you know that now once you have boiling noodles, which are flying all over uh, uh, the, the surface, so the only way to get that taste out is to have liquid flying all over the place, to go ahead and uh, all over. So once again, with the steamer, you may be able to get it, you may be able to actually do that uh, successfully because the steamer gives you control. There you, there you go. Uh, the steamer gives you control of what the, of where exactly the uh, the water is going to go, but that still doesn't solve the plastic problem. So what I've been saying for years is that it makes sense to buy a microwave oven for Pesach once, as long as you have storage space for it. You buy it once, you're using it one or two weeks out of the year. It should really last you the rest of your life. So you make an investment one year and avoids the whole uh, any halachic issues with kashering the microwave, and I find that to be, uh, you know, with many of the appliances which they used to talk about kashering, like mix masters and blenders and stuff of that, of that sort, uh, you know, we, we even got ourselves a, uh, um, uh, a deep fryer uh, for Pesach, uh, because, you know, short of eating matzo pizza, the only other thing you could eat is really potatoes. So we went ahead and we got a deep fryer, which, uh, which uh, you know, use it to w- one week out of the year, and uh, it's, uh, you're, you're good to go, and you avoid spending time koshering, cleaning, being uh, the anxiety related to that, did I keep clean it and kosher it properly? So if you have separate things for as much as, much as you can and as much storage space as you, as you have, so uh, that's, uh, it's a wor- I think it's a worthwhile uh, investment. Yes, Ellen. If we have one, we have one of these small tabletop ovens that we use for milk. Um, we just run it for a while. So you, 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 have to, you, have to, you have to clean it. You have to clean yeah, it well, make sure it's visibly clean. Uh, you have to leave it uh, uh, without use for 24 hours. And then you turn on whatever its highest setting is, you turn it on for an hour. And that's the most that, uh, the, the, that we do for that. Yeah, Charlene. So with a microwave, I know this is a little off the topic, but if you go to a hotel and they have a microwave in there, not for Pesach, but for Chametz, can you kosher that to use um, for, you know, your t- time that you're in that hotel room? 
So what I would tell you to do is I would tell you to just make sure that it's visibly clean. And then I would put the food in there, make sure that it's covered well. So that the steam, so that it's not possible, it's unlikely that steam will get out from the food, hit the surface, the ceiling or the walls of the thing, and then for that steam to potentially condense and fall back into the food. So if, if you have a good cover, you put it into a, you know, a Ziploc bag or something like that, whatever you know, a, a microwave-safe uh, bag you have, but something like that, so then you could use it. The advantage of a microwave over there is the fact that, um, uh, is that you, you can put the food in you know, completely covered. So if you can put it in covered, so then the taste can't get in. The steam isn't getting out and the taste can't get in. You don't have heat other than the, uh, the, uh, the microwave generating heat within the food itself. So it's a more controlled environment. So that's okay, yeah. Should you still use a cup of water? And, to... and that, that's, that's also true, by the way. Sorry to interrupt you. It's also true with regards to those people remember when you used to actually go to an office for work. So you, using the, a work microwave is the same principle. Is that as long as it's visibly clean inside and you could cover your food in a way where the steam isn't escaping, so where it's staying within the, this, uh, the, the, the bag or whatever, so then you could also use that. You may want to use two coverings just to, to be absolutely certain, but, uh, but yeah, you could use a work microwave also. All of that assumes that the, micro, that the, the, the inside of the microwave is visibly clean. And do you still have to use a cup of water to steam steam no. it? Or, no. You, know? you don't even have to do that. I don't. I, I'm not. I, I, I'm skeptical that it works in the first place. So I, I, I wouldn't, uh, you know, spend the time doing it. Yes, sorry. The back to the stovetop. So, I we've always put the blech put a put a blech on top of the stovetop and run the blech, run run the burners on high. Uh-huh. For like five to ten minutes, it, it it bent the blech out of shape. But then, but and then afterwards, we covered it with aluminum foil. Do we need to do the aluminum foil afterwards if we if we've done that? Because the blech spreads the heat out. Right. I I I, I assume that once the uh, the burners are uh, when, once they're kashered in that way, that that's already libun chamer. And once it's libun chamer, I don't know what the the milo would be to uh, to cover with uh, tin foil. I'm I'm not talking about the burners themselves. I'm talking about the spaces. Oh, the space in between. Yeah, I I, I don't know how hot it gets in that space in between. Okay. I, I, that 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 I would do. That I would that that, that I would cover because I don't know if I don't know how much it's going to reflect up and then back down and how hot that's uh, that's going to get. So the black access the in your example you're using a pot, but the black. Right, but, I, but I'm only thinking about the uh, the the grate that the pot sits upon. Not. Right. No, no, I'm not, I'm not trying to cast a thing in, in between over there. All right. Okay. Thanks. You know, if you don't have direct contact with the fire, it, I'm not. I'm just not confident it'll get as hot. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that is. So that's ovens, stovetops, microwaves, and your flat top uh, uh, burners o- over there. Now, the next thing which uh, which uh, we we have to address is going to be our refrigerator and freezer. So refrigerator freezers are the, the great advantage of refrigerator freezer is that it's generally a cold environment inside of there. And one of the principles of, of, uh, of, of kashras, of uh, uh, taste being absorbed into a surface, is that it generally requires heat. You always need this. You, you need either the food or the surface to be hot in order for taste to be able to penetrate inside the surface and get, and get inside, get, get, get absorbed. So refrigerator and freezer in a cold environment, so it's unlikely that something is going to be heat, which is going to allow for, uh, for absorption. 
So for refrigerator or freezer, so what the, what the one would need to do in order to get ready is, is you want to wipe down the surface so that you don't see something which is, uh, you know, large pieces of food or something which are there inside of the, uh, inside of the refrigerator. Uh, many people, including myself, but that's because I'm not the rub in my house, but many people will go ahead and they go scraping around the bottom and all of the seals or whatever to get all of the schmutz out. But the truth is, is that you don't really need to get all that schmutz out because number one is you're going to spritz it down with, uh, with, uh, uh, with some sort of a cleanser, uh, 409 or something like that, which any uh, pieces of food which may, be, which may be there, which don't come off as, with a quick wipe. So that's going to be rendered inedible by the 409. And the other thing is, or whatever the, uh, the, the cleaning uh, uh, spritz is, and then the other thing is, one of the other great advantages, great gifts that God gave us is that chametz is an inanimate object. And by inanimate object, I mean that it doesn't have the ability to jump off of a surface into your food. It can't go dive bombing into your food just to make you, uh, to make, to make you crazy. So if it's actually caught at the bottom of your refrigerator and it's below where you put your, your, your food or it's below where you put the, uh, the pots of food so that it can't jump up. It's not going to levitate on its own and make its way into your food. So if it just remains there, so then that's not really going to be an issue anyways. So what you need to do is, is as I said, you're going to wipe down the uh, sur- certainly the sur- any surface where the food or the pots and pans may come in contact with. So that you want to make sure that it's visibly clean. Some people go ahead and they cover the shelves or the racks in the re- in the refrigerator. So I'm not one of the people who uh, who says that that's a, that's something that you have to do. If you've done everything else and it's Tuesday before the Pesach Seder, and you literally have nothing else to do and not even any friends and neighbors that you could help out and do a chesed for. So then if you want to spend some time doing that, so that may be time which is, which is well spent, although at that point it's probably better to look at a Haggadah and spend the time preparing for the, uh, for the Seder. But if you want to go ahead and you want to cover that, so people will go ahead and cover that, uh, that, uh, that surface. In the event that you have uh, racks or something, so you always want to keep in mind to poke holes in whatever that thing that you're putting on there is to make sure that you have proper air circulation. Otherwise, you'll burn out your compressor or something like that. And again, I don't have any liability insurance if you make a mistake and want to blame me for, uh, for your broken appliances. But that's going to be true for both your refrigerator as well as your freezer. So you're just wiping everything down to make sure that it's visibly clean. And once you make sure that it's visibly clean, so then we, we don't assume that that taste was actually absorbed into, uh, into any of that. And therefore, you're, uh, you're good to go. People often want to know about using the refrigerator to store, depending on what your refrigerator spa- storage space looks like or what your freezer storage space looks like. So, yes, it is allowed to go ahead and store hummus, which you sold to the doy, in your refrigerator or freezer. That's something which is, uh, which is acceptable. But what you need to make sure is you need to make sure that it is properly covered and sealed in a way where when you wake up in the middle of the night after the second Seder and you're still starving, believe it or not, and you're wandering around in a, in a, in a daze after four cups of wine and you're starving, that you don't accidentally go ahead and grab some food. You don't go ahead and accidentally grab some food to... Uh, 
to uh, to in, in, in mistakenly eat the eat that food. So you want to make sure that it's uh, that it's covered. It could be double covered. It could be with tape on top of that. Whatever it is, that you're not going to accidentally uh, eat eat any of that. But otherwise, it's okay. I would I always tell people, as we mentioned, since chametz is an inanimate object, it's probably better to put the chametz on the lower shelf in your pesach tikkun stuff on the upper shelf. That way, in the event that something spills, you don't want your chametz spilling onto your pesach tik. You'd rather have the pesach tik spilling onto your onto your chametz. It's a safer thing if uh, if that's the way you, you're, you're going to go. But it is acceptable to do so. Just make sure, as I said, it's clearly covered and marked in a way where you won't mistakenly eat uh, eat, eat any of that. So that, as far as the refrigerator and the freezer are uh, are, are concerned. Now, the before we get to the sink. We'll uh, go on. So now, any uh, any pantry, any drawers or any cabinets which you're not going to be using for Pesach, so you don't spend any time whatsoever cleaning that. So that that uh, that uh, once again, since that's going to be sold to the non-Jew, sold to the the Gentile, so there's no reason you should spend time cleaning that pantry or that drawer or that cabinet for the Gentile. If he wants it to be clean, he's invited to your house and go ahead and he can clean it himself. But uh, you shouldn't spend time doing that. Uh, doing that for him, those shelves or those cabinets which you are going to use. So here also, the the principle, the, the guiding principle is kabolo kachpolto. So if I have, let's say, the cabinet where I put all of my dishes, this is where I put my Shabbos dishes, where I go ahead and I put my china after the uh, after the Shabbos meals. So we look at that and we say, oh, that's obviously chametzik because that's where I put my uh, the uh, the china after the Shabbos meals and after I ate all that uh, that chametz. But when you think about it, what's the likelihood of chametz actually getting onto that surface? Number one, because it's clean dishes which go back in there. So why would there be any chametz on there in the first place? And even if there was chametz on there, it's certainly not going to be hot, liquidy chametz. So that's just not going to happen. So all you need to do in those cabinets and drawers and shelves, which you are going to use for Pesach, is, once again, just give it a spritz with whatever, uh, you know, 409 equivalent that, that you use. Wipe down the surface. If you don't see any uh, chametz, so you don't see any crumbs which are jumping out at you, so you can assume that that's now uh, Pesach thick as well. You don't have to cover those if you want to cover those again. If on Tuesday before Pesach you've done everything else and uh, you have uh, you have this urge for uh, to cover shelves or to see uh, aluminum foil over the course of Pesach, so then you can spend the time on Wednesday and Thursday doing that. But if you're not that far ahead of yourself in terms of preparation, so I don't think halachically it's worthwhile to go ahead and to uh, to cover those uh, surfaces when there's no chametz absorbed in those surfaces in the first place anyways. So there's nothing really to kasher, nothing really to be, uh, to be concerned about. Same thing is going to be true with regards to the kitchen table. Kitchen table also, uh, the easiest thing to do is that you, we, we can discuss all sorts of different surface uh, materials that the table is made from and whether they are kasherable, they're not kasherable. It's a much easier thing to do is just cover it with some uh, uh, tablecloth, which is going to remain in place for all of Pesach, and everything that you eat on Pesach at the table will, uh, will be covered, and then you're, you're good to go, and you don't have to spend time boiling, uh, boiling up water, pouring boiling water onto a surface when, again, your feet are going to be nearby, when you can get away with uh, just covering it. The countertops are the exact same thing, although countertops, it's more likely that hot chametz spilled on it, but 
you could, again, the, uh, the CRC still puts out a whole list in their guide about the different surfaces that your countertops may be made from, in which ones they say that you can kosher, which ones that you cannot kosher. Many of the things which they say that you could kosher is because the CRC allows, at least in some circumstances, the koshering of plastic. Uh, I would tell you not to kosher plastic for, uh, for Pesach, but it's also easier, even if you're going to kosher it, so what that would involve is either the boiling water or using the, the steamer. And on that large of a surface, I don't feel that it's really worth the, uh, the time and the effort. It's much easier to cover it either with contact paper or there's all sorts of different things which are available that you could cut out or, or, or you know, uh, um, vinyl flooring and whatnot that people cut out to match the, uh, the, the shape of their, their countertops. But I find that it's much easier to go ahead and just cover all of those surfaces. They should last for the, uh, the week of Pesach, and that will save you the time and the effort of trying to clean and then, uh, then kosher them. Okay, so up to, uh, up to the sinks, we're, uh, we're, we're okay? Okay, give out. So now the last thing is, is the sink. Does anybody have something other than a stainless steel sink? Mel, what do you, what do you got? You have to unmute. Porcelain sink. Porcelain sink. Okay, so you have uh, a, a, an old sink. So we'll we'll get to that. Uh, there's there's still time to get a new sink before Pesach. Just keep that in mind. <laughs> so so for those of us who have a stainless steel sink, so stainless steel. One of the advantages of stainless steel is the fact that it is a kosherable material. Now the problem with uh, the the difficulty though, in theory, so that makes it wonderful because you can kosher with boiling water. So since sinks absorb uh, chametz by chametz being poured onto it. You don't actually cook inside of your sink, but you may pour out noodles that the you know boiling noodles into the strainer into in, in, in into the sink. So you would have boiling uh, chametz thick of water, which is pouring onto the surface of, of of the sink. So the way you would kasher it is also we call irikli rishon. So it's pouring from the pot where the water was uh, was boiled. So the problem that everybody has with using that to kosher your sink is getting the, the floor of your sink, the bottom of your sink. So Erie is actually, would, be, uh, would actually be effective. We'll talk about exactly what you need to do shortly, but that would be effective. The problem everybody has is how do you effectively and efficiently and thoroughly pour boiling water horizontally? So this is something which has mystified scientists for years and years and years, how exactly you go about the pouring boil, boiling water safely in a horizontal uh, direction uh, for any sort of uh, any sort of uh, distance, and to do so uh, with confidence that the boiling water hits uh, the entire surface. So that's why God came along and He created the steamers, which Ellen had uh, had pulled out her her steamer before. So the advantage of the steamer is that this it it comes out of a nozzle and it allows you to be able to spritz the steam out of it in horizontally. Can actually do it up a little bit also, but it allows you to be able to do it horizontally. And therefore, you uh, what you end up doing is sort of like a Zamboni. What I do is I start at the bottom of the, the, the wall and I just keep going back and forth, back and forth, moving my way up the uh, up the sink to make sure that uh, that I that I get the steam coming in contact with all of the uh, with uh, with the entire surface. So it, it's it's wonderful halachically. 
because you're able to do so with confidence that the steam actually came out and hit every part of the uh, every part of the sink. But it's not as fast as you would think it is. I mean, you could go, you could do it very quickly. But if you're going to be, if you're going to be a little uh, conscientious about it, so you don't want to move too quickly because you want to give enough time for enough steam to make the surface hot. That's what you're. Uh, that, that's that's what you're striving for. And you need the nozzle to be pretty close to the surface itself in order to the, for the, the you could call the the company. They'll tell you how hot the steam is at a quarter inch, at half an inch, at three quarters of an inch, an inch, at two inches. And every time you move back a little bit more, so the, the, there's more air, which is, going to, uh, which is going to mix in with the steam before it hits the surface and it cools off pretty quickly. So you try and keep the nozzle relatively, uh, relatively close, but that I think is going to be the most uh, efficient way of, uh, uh, of doing so and the best halachic way of, uh, uh, of doing so. But whenever you're casturing with boiling water, so what you need to do is you need to make sure that the surface is completely clean. So that means you got to, you know, scrub uh, or whatever uh, may have uh, gotten stuck on there. Then it has to not have been used for 24 hours. Usually the Shabbos before Pesach is the best time to wait those 24 hours. Here that gives you a whole week in advance. So that may be something which is a little bit of a challenge to kosher your sink for Pesach already on Motsoi Shabbos or Sunday, the week before Pesach, because that gives you a whole gap of time that you don't have a kitchen sink to be able to use for, for hummus, although your house may be Pesach thick already at this point, so it may not bother you to go ahead and <laughs> have your sink already uh, to be Pesach thick a, a week in advance. So once, you, once the surface is clean, the surface is dry, the surface has not been used for 24 hours, then you go ahead and you do this Hagalah, you do this Iroi, really, you do the pouring of the boiling water, you use the steamer, and you run over the, uh, the, uh, the entire surface of, uh, of the sink. And then once you, uh, you finish going all the way around, uh, so then the sink would be considered uh, kashered as far as, uh, as far as that is concerned. And now you have to make sure, make sure to get the lip and get all the way, whatever metal surfaces are exposed, you want to go ahead and make sure that the, uh, the steam hits all of that. As far as the faucet is concerned, so this also, uh, another one of the challenges when you're using a pot of boiling water is if you think that uh, pouring boiling water horizontally is a challenge, pouring boiling water up is a, is, is a bigger challenge, uh, especially with your hands uh, having to be somewhere near there because it needs to pour somehow. So here, the steamer also gives you that advantage that you could point the nozzle in a way where you'll be able to get the underside of the, uh, of the faucet and all, and all of that. Um, I, I found over the years that the, the end of the, uh, the, the nozzle, which actually on some models will twist off, it's actually worthwhile to twist that off and take that off and clean that out because somehow lots of, I don't want to say what, but lots of stuff gets in there. And that's uh, that number one could be, uh, if it's there, it may not be kosherable with the boiling water because it's a dirty surface. And number two, it may, the boiling water may not actually reach there. And then you have chametz, which is right near where the water is coming out. So if you could actually take that part off and clean that, so then uh, you should definitely make, a, make an effort to, uh, to do so. But you want to make sure that the, the faucet part, that that also comes in contact with the the boiling water or the uh, or the hot steam because as I said if you're making noodles and you pour a bunch of uh, uh, the the pot of noodles with water into the colander in your sink you're going to have a cloud of hot steam from those noodles which are rising up and it's going to hit the uh, it's going to hit your faucet so since it's going to hit your faucet that faucet may likely be absorbing actual chametz steam from that so your faucet could be uh, could be uh, chametz thick. 
can be real chametzik. So you want to make sure that you uh, you you kasher uh, that as uh, as well. As far as porcelain is concerned, Mel. So what they say is is that you should kasher it three times, and then you should cover it or use a bin. So you mach around two things. You're going to do the 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 the, the kashering process a couple of times, and then a few times, three times, and then you go on to use it. They sell now. Um, specially designed uh, inserts for your sink so that all of the Pesach Dika dishes and whatnot in the food, all of that goes into the bin and then it doesn't actually make any contact with the, uh, with the, uh, the, uh, the porcelain. Yes, Barbara's iPad. Our faucet, it's, you know, one of those pullouts that you can, you know, on a, whatever. Oops. Turn that off there. Sorry, feedback. Um, <clears throat> the underneath where <clears throat> it sprays out of is actually rubberized. Like, you know, it can either come out as a single spray or it can come out as, you know, like a, a more dispersed spraying. But the right. physical, you know, substance that is underneath that you can't screw off is like rubbery. Right. So for, for those things that you can't take apart, and if it's rubber or plastic, so then we would capture that. So you would take the steamer, or you would pour the boiling water uh, over that, because is that really much of, much of a choice? But, uh, but yeah. Okay. Okay, so that takes care of the, uh, that takes care of the, uh, the sink. The other thing which people uh, uh, wonder about is using your, uh, your water urn or your, uh, your water cooler on, uh, on, on Pesach. So that really depends on how exactly it's used in your home. If it's only used for water and it's used uh, only with water for adults, by adults, I should say. So the meaning that you don't take the cup and shove it directly into the nozzle or into the spigot or whatever, but you actually let the water come out on its own and hit the, uh, the bottom of the cup. So then if that's the way it's used, so then you could get away with just cleaning it, rub, uh, uh, wiping it, wiping it down, and then you'd be able to use it for, uh, for Pesach as well. If you have kids or have kids who would make tradition soups again using that, so they will typically, or oatmeal, they'll typically go ahead and put the food directly into the nozzle, and you could probably find all sorts of food particles inside of the uh, the nozzle over there. So I wouldn't do it. And this is another one of those appliances where I think it's worthwhile you buy a second urn once that you use for Pesach, and then that's your Pesach urn, and that just remains your Pesach urn, and that should last you for the uh, for the rest of your life. And then you don't have to worry about that risk of maybe somebody did use it in a way, and maybe I didn't cash it, I did cash it. So it's much easier, I find, to uh, to do it that way. Yes, Shalim. What about a blech, an electric blech? Can an electric blech. Can so, you just clean it really well and cover it with a couple layers of foil? Yes, that's, a, that, that, that's what you would do, is you would clean it well. Again, I don't think an echras for what happens when you cover it with tinfoil, how that uh, 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 impacts it. But I assume that all of that is heat tempered, whatever's going on over there. But yeah, I would, I would, I would wipe down the surface and then cover it with uh, you know, one or two layers of tinfoil just to make sure that it doesn't rip all the way through. And then you should be, uh, you should be fine with, uh, you should be fine as far as uh, that's concerned. Um, so is there anything else in the kitchen which I need to, oh, uh, as far as towels and, uh, and uh, tablecloths and whatnot are concerned, so anything which could be washed with detergent and hot water, so that once it comes out of the, uh, the dryer, so that's also assumed to be, uh, to be uh, uh, Pesach thick, 
you don't have to worry about uh, you know uh, anything being left after a regular washing cycle with uh, with, uh, with 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 detergent. Um, okay, did I forget any, did I forget anything else? Is there any conceivable protocol for a dishwasher? Um, maybe, maybe if the inside was made of metal and you didn't have any plastic and whatnot, but, uh, and it's also, it's going to be very hard to, uh, to clean. Um, it's always hard to clean just because they, they, they build them in such a way where you don't get to see what food gets stuck in by the filter. And very often food could remain there for a long period of time, because as long as people don't see it, they don't know that it's there and it doesn't bother them, but it does actually go down the drain right away. So it's, uh, yeah. Usually, uh, usually uh, you have two hands, and those are your dishwashers for <laughs> for for, uh, for for Pesach. Warming trays. Uh, warming tray. It would would be. It's also it, it's hard because it doesn't get as hot. Um, I, I would tell people that they shouldn't use it. Uh, you should use the regular oven to at a, at a lower temperature than a warming tray. I'd be worried about uh, about the uh, kashrimet. Um, do we have to worry about um, uh, toothpaste? Oh, so now, so now let's go. Thank you. Thank you for that transition. So as far as medication is concerned, so anything which is a straight up pill, meaning that it, it's not designed to taste good uh, and it's not, or it's not in a liquid form, which is also designed to taste good. So anything is just straight up medication. So you take without any, uh, any hesitancy whatsoever. Every, this year, we're giving this year early, so I didn't get the, uh, the medication list, the medication cosmetics list as of yet. But what I found is about nine times out of 10, uh, whatever medication you're taking is not on the list anyways. So it doesn't really help to, uh, to ask. I'll be happy to look it up for you and not find it for you. But I uh, rarely actually find medications which people take. Um, but anything which is a straight up pill, so we don't consider that to be edible for a dog, and then that's, uh, that, that's not going to be an issue. Um, there's a machlokus about uh, toothpaste and mouthwash, whether or not something which goes inside of the mouth, do we have to be worried, number one, about trafe in general, and then number two, specifically for Pesach, do you need to go ahead and uh, buy one, a brand, uh, which is specifically, which you know for sure is kosher for Pesach. So I really hold <coughs> that uh, the, the following of Shomel Zaman Orbach, he was of the opinion that we don't consider either of that to be something which is edible for a dog, and therefore he was not concerned about it uh, at all. The truth is, though, is that at some point uh, over the next year or month, uh, you'll have to get a new tube of toothpaste anyways. You need new toothbrushes at some point over the year. You need new toothpaste over the course of the year. So if you need new stuff of that anyways, it's not a big deal to buy one a little bit earlier than you normally are scheduled to buy one and get one of those brands, which is Kasha for Pesach. So they have in any one of the Pesach guides, they'll have names of toothpaste and uh, mouthwash, which are kosher for Pesach. If you could find them, usually the way uh, I figure out which ones are kosher for Pesach are the ones which aren't on the shelf the week before Pesach. So those are the ones which everybody has bought out already. So that's how you know that that's the one which is kosher for Pesach. So if you're like me, that you're searching around for that by, uh, you know, the week before Pesach and there's none left. So I, I think it's fine to go ahead and use a regular thing. Anyways, many people are, are very mocked to use a new tube of toothpaste. Um, for, uh, for Pesach, I'm not sure why they think Hametz is getting inside of their toothpaste tube. I don't know what scenario they're thinking took place over there. And it's gross to think that there actually is Hametz inside of your tube of toothpaste when 
you know, I don't know how much, how, what exactly your oral hygiene style is, but you might want to go ahead and consult with an expert about that, find out uh, if, that's a, if that's a concern. Same thing with a toothbrush. Toothbrush, it goes inside of your mouth, but it's never going to be hot. And it's always going to be cleaned off. I hope you clean your, tooth, your toothbrush after each time. But again, you have to get a new toothbrush anyways. So if you have to get a new toothbrush anyway, so you might as well get one uh, paste off time. You could just time it uh, accordingly. So that's as far as toothpaste and, uh, and mouthwash is concerned. Uh, anything which is a solid, a powder, or a gel also are not going to be an issue of, uh, of hummus. So that includes bar soaps. That's going to include... Uh, solid deodorant or or gel deodorant that's going to include baby powder anything any any of those things are not edible by definition and therefore there you don't really have to be concerned about the about usage of that on the on Pesach the only time where it really comes up is if you have something like an aftershave or you have a perfume which contains alcohol so in the event that you have something with, with one of those which contains alcohol so if Moshe was of the was was concerned Moshe Feinstein's Asa was concerned that you could go ahead and you could boil it up and you could extract the alcohol out of it and it could be put into a, 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 drinkable, uh, um, a drinkable alcohol. So therefore, that thing where it's the, the alcohol, you could distill the alcohol, that's what I was looking for, where you could distill the alcohol out of it and then you could potentially drink it. So he considered that still to be fit for a dog to, uh, to consume. So for those things, he was, uh, he was that you should make sure that your perfume or aftershave or anything which is in some sort of liquid form is, uh, is going to be, uh, would be Pesach uh, 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 Shampoos also, shampoos and conditioners, you don't have to worry about it, even if it says on it made from wheat, it's not considered to be an edible form of, uh, of wheat, and therefore that's going to be, uh, that's going to be okay as, uh, uh, as well. Deodorants are something, deodorant antiperspirants are one of those things which uh, many times if it's in a, a can spray, so that's something which it may be possible to go ahead and distill the alcohol out of it, I'm not 100% sure, but that's also inevitably over the course of the year, you're going to be getting yourself some new antiperspirant or deodorant anyway, so why not get a new one for uh, Pesach? It's not as if you're not spending lots of money anyways. So for, for another can of uh, deodorant or antiperspirant, so all likely that's not going to make or break the, uh, the bank for you. So you could find one of those on the list, which is Pesach approved, and that, uh, that, 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 that should be fine. Um, okay, anything, uh, anything else? Okay, so if we are good as far as uh, that, uh, yeah, there I'll call you in a minute. So if, if we if we are good as far as uh, as far as that, so uh, thank you very much for coming. Feel free to uh, to call when uh, if and when questions arise in the kashering process or in the uh, preparation uh, process, and um, and everybody should have a chag kasher Thank you, Rabbi. Yeah. Next week, next thank week you. we'll be having the GPS of the Haggadah the next two weeks.